My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... But I really want to learn. So... Every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the classical classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and this is our very first classical classroom of the new year, and in honor of that fact... We are going to be having all new things on the show, including a bunch of words that neither me nor my guests know how to pronounce. So we are just going to butcher everything, and you guys are going to have to deal with that and look up how to pronounce things yourselves. Uh, Anyway, my guest today is Craig Hauschelt, whose name itself is very difficult to pronounce. It's just got a lot of letters, you know? So sorry. (laughs) It's okay. It's not your fault. Craig is the Director of Education and Community Initiatives at Decamera. Decamera, uh, for those of you who, who don't know, produces a concert series here in Houston. They bring in uh, international folks and, and local musicians, and uh, part of their aim, at least, is attracting newbies to come out to concerts. Um, Craig is also a freelance percussionist, uh, and he has performed with all of Houston's major organizations, um, the symphony, the ballet, the opera, as well as groups like Musica, Aperio, River Oaks Chamber Orchestra, etc., etc. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. What are you going to be teaching me about today? Well, there's this this work by Osvaldo Goliath uh, entitled Ira, uh-huh. which is very beautiful, and it's a favorite piece of mine. So, Goliath... I had never heard of this composer before. Tell me a little bit about this person. He is was born in Argentina, uh, Jewish parents, uh, immigrant parents. So he's got kind of that immigrant upbringing in Argentina, uh, predominantly Catholic country. So there's a lot of already kind of cultural pluralism going on in his life. Mm-hmm. Spent some time studying composition in Israel for a few years. And then moved to Pennsylvania, where he studied with George Crumb, mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately uh, now lives in Massachusetts. I know George Crumb. I, I I heard of this guy on another show that we did. Uh, so so Goliath is a contemporary guy. Yes, still okay. living. You could go and knock on his door and say, "Hey, Goliath, what's yes. up?" Okay. So he's a contemporary guy. He's living in the U.S. now, mm-hmm. and still. Still making work? Still composing? Yes. String quartets. Da Camera featured uh, the St. Lawrence String Quartet playing one of his string quartets last year on their series. Um, there's a beautiful piece that I love playing called Mariel for cello and marimba. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been working with Yo-Yo Ma and Alicia Weilerstein on a cello concerto that's been uh, toured around the U.S. recently in recent years. And wow. A lot of great stuff. Very okay. beautiful. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know that he wasn't, you know, some kind of 
historic composer that I was supposed to be familiar with. I feel a little better now. Oh, for sure. <laughs> no, he's um, he's alive and well and okay. continuing to compose. Awesome. I hope. Well, okay, so the, the piece that you wanted to talk about today was called Ira. Ira. It's derivative from, I believe, an old Spanish word that it means air, like air on the G string from okay. Bach, so, yeah. or like a song. A-Y-R-E. Hmm. Okay. So tell me about the piece. Well, the work is in... It, it's it's a long work. It's 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 11 movements long. And are you familiar with the composer Luciano Berrio? Yes. Okay. Um, Berrio is an Italian composer. He did a set of folk songs in the 60s. And the folk songs, is it's a, another song cycle that's 11 movements long. And each of the movements feature songs from different countries associated with him and his wife. Okay. Um, so it's in some ways it's kind of a, a love, a statement of love. This is Berio who did the Symphonia. Yes. Uh, that was the very kind of like crazy sort of experimental work. We we had that on our show about remixes. Okay. Yeah. Same composer. Um, in this case, the the Berio. Mm-hmm. Folk songs is I wouldn't say as as experimental as the Symphonia. Mm-hmm. Um, he's used pre-existing material to create the folk songs. So these mm-hmm. are songs that already exist, and then he created a really beautiful texture for them to occur within. And it's it's definitely modernistic. It's not. I mean, it doesn't sound like Mozart or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of really beautiful colors, a lot of really beautiful harmonies that I think brings that piece to life mm-hmm. um, it's it's definitely a re-examination of these folk songs and that piece I think is the basis for Goliath's work okay um, same number of movements in in Berio's work he, there's folk songs in English Armenian French um, Sicilian Italian uh, Asetan and Azeri I don't even know that from language. Azerbaijan. Oh, okay. And in Goliath's work, there's kind of a medieval Spanish Ladino, um, Sardu, the Sardinian uh, form of Italian, um, Arabic, um, Hebrew, and English. So they're, they're, both of these songs are kind of a potpourri of uh, cultural folk material. Huh. Which I think makes these two pieces unique and kind of pair nicely together yeah what what was the sort of design behind that was it just well i think with in barrio's case um the piece was written for his wife kathy barbarian to perform Mm -hmm. each of the movements the the country of origin relates to one of the two of their lives so sort of personal very personal i see it wasn't it wasn't like he was just he just had like an interest in little used languages exactly personal connection yeah so and and then um, in the case of Goliath, he kind of is using the Barrio as inspiration, but he's not professing his love to anyone. Um, the main vocal muse is Don Upshaw, mm-hmm. who uh, is someone that he enjoyed working with very much. They weren't, they're not married or related or anything, but um, he composed many works with and for her. Mm-hmm. And his piece aims to do something different. I think in the scope of the work, he's trying to comment on the the Israeli-Palestinian relationship mm-hmm. and he does so kind of indirectly by talking about history um, bringing in some 
um, the, the region of Andalusia mm-hmm. from southern Spain and talking about kind of the cultural, religious plurality that has existed there. Um, and he kind of tracks the region around the Mediterranean and in kind of a journey to Israel and Palestine by the end of the 11 movements. So what drew you to Air, Ira, 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 I you say it. Ira. <laughs> Ira. So I've, Ira. I've accepted it. I'm just going to keep thinking of Ira Glass. Um, so what, what drew you to this piece? Which you were clearly quite drawn to because you did your doctoral dissertation yes. on it. You know, it's a piece that when I, I first came to it, I listened to it, and it, I didn't understand it at all, but it was magical because one movement is one mood and the next is another, and it it's constantly evolving. There's electronic... Um, kind of club music embedded in this this Ooh, rich fun. texture. There's accordion. There's um, strings, French horn, percussion. Sounds um, like Beck. Like we're about to listen to a Beck piece. <laughs> you may know more about Beck than I do, but yeah, I mean that's the that that's kind of it's it's a really rich orchestration. Okay. And the orchestration itself is based on the barrio. So the barrio um, has flute and clarinet, um, viola, cello. Mm-hmm. Um, harp and a couple percussionists. We'll, we'll jump around the piece. Okay. I think the work is divided. I, this isn't Goliath's division, but I see it as being divided into four parts. And let's take something from the first part, which is kind of the Andalusia section, the kind of historical, trying to place everything in a historical context for the piece. And let's start with a very beautiful song, Una Madre. she's talking about yes i'm I'm glad you asked because there's no way that you would guess it from the music i mean it's such a beautiful song Mm -hmm. stunningly beautiful and the text translates to and a mother roasted and ate her cherished son (gasps) look at my eyes mother i I learned dark man very dark (laughs) the text from this movement is kind of derived from the book of lamentations okay um, and there's a translation of, like a Jewish translation, a translation that says, uh, with their own hands, tender-hearted women have cooked their children. Such became their fare in the disaster of my poor people. Oh. So, um, this is a, a lullaby, uh, melody that would have been sung in Andalusia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the juxtaposition of the incredibly beautiful uh-huh. with the incredibly horrific. Yeah. And I think in the context of the larger work, he's kind of making a statement about what we're doing from one generation to another. I um, see. You know, the wars we cause, the trouble that we're spreading throughout the world is right. affecting the people. So a symbolic us. devouring of the upcoming generation. Yeah. Yeah. 
and metaphorical um, rather yeah and I mean this is all tied into him kind of referencing Andalusia this place where he he's trying to point out that there was a kind of a, a religious commingling not mm-hmm. that it was always perfectly harmonious but um, that Christians uh, Muslims and Jews lived together mm-hmm. uh, in in relative harmony for some years and disharmony in others yeah um, until the Jews were ultimately expelled at the end of the 15th century. If you listen to the second movement of the Barrio, uh-huh. it's, uh, the textures are very similar, and yeah. you can really see the connection. Uh-huh. As I wander out under the sky How Jesus our Savior did come for to die So you can see already you've got this harp texture with voice and you eventually mm-hmm. get some other instruments in there as you do in the Goliath but it mm-hmm. starts with the, the harp and the voice yeah. in a similar way When Mary birthed Jesus t'was in a cow this is the comes from the first section of the piece. We're kind of getting a historical context, and um, the piece is rooted in, in reference to Andalusia. What should we hear next? What, what is another like? Where's the next? Well, um, the second part of the piece um, is, in my opinion, is the sixth and seventh movements. Mm-hmm. It's about the commingling of religions mm-hmm. and uh, the commonalities that exist between them mm-hmm. um, and I think it's actually kind of the spiritual center of the piece in a lot of ways okay. and we'll see what you think okay. comparing Wahhabibi with Unamadra I like it so far this is an accordion um, that's sent through electronics uh-huh. electronic sampling and manipulated um, in an interesting and unusual way. This makes me think of Pink Floyd. I can see that. Sounds like that accordion is being destroyed as it's being played almost. I promise no accordions were hurt in the <laughs> filming of this or in the recording of this work. <laughs> And this sounds like belly dancing music. Yeah, this is definitely rooted in the Middle East here. And then give it to one more section. Okay. What a stark contrast. Yeah. 
And I think when I first heard it, I was just like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> this is just, it's chaotic and yeah. I don't get it. And as I got more and more familiar with it, it was like these contrasts actually became more like unified in my mind. Mm -hmm. That song keeps coming back. The, uh -huh. It kind of goes back and forth between the chaotic music and the, the religious uh, transcription of the Farouz melody. And the first time he asks for it to be performed very kind of Gregorian in a way, and the right. second time very Arabic. Okay. And, um, you know, in talking with different people, some people are like, oh, what is that? I mean, it's so, you know whatever, crazy that he'd do that, or racist or something, but I don't think that was the point. I think he was going for, you know, this juxtaposition that this one song um, in Andalusia would have been sung by Christians or, mm -hmm. or Muslims or Jews, and they would have adapted it mm -hmm. between the religions, and you might have different inflections, but you could use the same melody to create these different yeah. um, religious contexts. So he's using this Christian song from the Middle East having it sung more straight in a Gregorian or more European way, mm -hmm. fewer, you know, inflections. And then she sings it again, and there's wider vibrato, more, um, more tr ornamentations and, mm -hmm. and pitch bands and things. Yeah. It's a really wonderful juxtaposition of the two. That's very cool. So this is the Arabic version. Oh, I see. Or how Don Upshaw interprets the Arabic section. Right. <laughs> I should more accurately say. You know, my wife and I uh, went to to Morocco for our for our honeymoon, mm -hmm. and you know, this movement now relates to that trip in my mind for me because when we were there in Morocco. In Marrakesh, we stayed at a Riyadh, and like when you're in the streets and you're in the markets, it was crazy and lots of people talking and running around and lots of energy, you know, very boisterous, even into the night. And then when you would get back to the Riyadh, I mean, you'd slip into a door and there was no sound. And you were only feet from the chaos, right? But it was extremely peaceful, and there was a fountain in the middle of the the courtyard uh -huh. and it was so serene and in a lot of ways now like Wahhabibi for me this 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 version of Wahhabibi uh, Goliath's version kind of encapsulates you know those those two juxtapositions into one one place that's one really interesting and it's kind um, of a tone poem yeah and, and I think it's it the text is very meaningful it's it comes um, it's actually a, the, the song portion, what, what Don Upshaw was just singing, is a transcription of, of Farouz, mm -hmm. I believe that's how you pronounce it, um, which is a Christian Arab uh, song off of a CD of Good Friday uh, hmm. songs. And the text, um, as translated uh, as it comes in the score, is, My love, my love, what has befallen you? Who saw you and grieved for you, you who are righteous. My love, what is the sin of our times and our children? These wounds have no cure. 
So it ties back into to what was going on in the second movement there. Yeah. You get the chaos of the Middle East. There's a laptop playing sounds of ambulances, which if you look at the score, you know that they're Palestinian ambulances mm-hmm. rushing probably to the scene of a disaster. So this next recording is the the source that Goliath used. He, this is a recording by Farouz of Wahhabibi that was released, and you could you could purchase this on iTunes. Okay. Wahhabibi, Wahhabibi, very different. Yeah. Very beautiful. And here now, in the course of listening to the Goliath's arrangement and the original, you can get a taste of all sorts of different versions of the same song, which I yeah. think is really special and unique. I think that's really that's really cool that that one piece of music. Like, I love the idea of of using it to uh, bring all of these different religions together and to illustrate how they're, you know, saying the same things in different ways. At least that's kind of what I was getting yeah, from it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's, I think, what he's going for based on some of his interviews that he gave about the piece. Yeah. And here in the eighth movement, you're just down to speech. Huh. And he's taking a poem by uh, Mahmoud Darwish, mm-hmm. um, this Palestinian-born poet. This It comes from a, a collection of 11 poems. Uh-huh. And... I think the collection, if you read all 11, it's, it's wonderful. It's tied into the same topic that Goliath is exploring. So, um, you know, this, this kind of commonality of religions in Andalusia and the connection to Israel and Palestine. And um, I think you get to the topic of the piece, which is this, the, the idea of exiles and, you know, who's to blame for them being out of their 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 homeland and the connection between people who have been disconnected between their homeland and, you know, where is their homeland? Is it where they're living or where they came from or where their parents came from? Or um, There's a great quote um, that's often associated with this piece. Most people are principally aware of one culture, one setting, one home. Exiles, however, are aware of at least two, and this plurality of vision gives rise to an awareness of simultaneous dimensions, an awareness that, to borrow a phrase for music, is contrapuntal. And that was something that Edward Said um, had said once. And I think it ties into this, this idea of counterpoint, or you know, Bach, uh, two-voice pe- counterpoint. There's always two things going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different way of constructing music yeah. than, than harmony and melody. Yeah. And this idea that there are people out there that are aware of different things going on, like their homeland and where they are, that there's kind of two different understandings mm-hmm. of that. And I think that ends up playing out, playing into the piece as a whole because you've got kind of the historical and then the commentary, the, the modern commentary going on simultaneously. There's yeah. always multiple things going on. I was going to say, like, the whole sort of theme of this piece to me seems to be when you listen to parts of it, you think, you know, these are ancient folk songs, you know, but in fact, this is quite contemporary. And what Goliath is commenting on is very contemporary um, and sort of 
using that vehicle of the the old to comment on the new and and yeah. like that counterpoint yeah that's pretty interesting and that and then using the the contrast and the and the sort of you know cacophony and the silences and to show one picture of of what's what's going on yeah. in these different places many perspectives yeah. of one thing yeah so we've been listening to this piece and i think it's lovely but i don't know that i would necessarily call this classical music upon first listen and you know not knowing anything about this composer what is it that that makes this classical music well i think that's a great question and it depends on how you define classical music and i think everyone has their own definition of what that is if you want to define it really strictly as you know beethoven and mozart and haydn and mendelssohn and schubert and that's fine and yeah. there are people out there that do that and when they go to see a classical concert they want to hear the greats right. um, you know i ultimately one of the things that i liked about this work and my approach to it was that it really made me question that like what's classical about a piece what's pop mm-hmm. and there's electronica there's you know there's club beats and you know these two of the movements um, and what's folk I mean, these are all it's a collection of folk songs Mm-hmm. And ultimately, like what I've taken away from it is that all music has classical, pop, and folk elements to it. Mm-hmm. For me, you can use those words pretty interchangeably. Yeah. So, you know, to me, I mean, there's a classical element to it because it's very thoughtful. He's he's pulling it out of the barrio yeah. and the the tradition of romantic song cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, the instrumentation is is you know, includes strings, voice, harp, percussion, things that you associate with an orchestra. Mm-hmm. But he includes things that are more associated with pop music, laptop accompaniments, and mm-hmm. um, hyper accordions that are tied into that Jimi Hendrix, right. you know, Pink Floyd thing. Um, so there's a popular element to it that's going to connect, I think, to the people. And then there's also a folk element. I mean, the, every song in here comes from some folk singer, um, you know, something of the people. And he ties it all together. And I think ultimately why I consider it classical is because he ties it all together with a greater, you know, intent. Right. Not just for fun. Like, yeah, there's it, a yeah, purpose there's, there's a Yeah, um, there's intent there. And, there's, and it seems to you that he considers Goliath considers himself a part of the classical tradition you know that that like he's he's drawing on those sources and I'm, i mean like if if an artist is what an artist says that they are if that's if that's how you're defining them i mean i guess that's yeah, yeah. he's saying yes i'm a classical musician yeah and i believe him we use these words classical popular folk i think to define who we are mm-hmm. what we like and they become tools but they're really you know, there's elements of everything going on in all of these composers, and we tend to... I don't know when it happened in music history that they became busts on a piano. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, if you go back and you look at these people's lives, these classical composers, they're, they're doing all the same stuff that we're doing today. You know, right. figuring it out. They want to be, you know... Some want to be liked more than others, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's elements of all this going on. Hmm. Interesting. We're going to take that out when I say interesting. I say that like 20 times a show. It's like my catchphrase. Everybody needs a catchphrase. It's my catchphrase, unfortunately. (laughs) 
Um, and then the movement, the whole piece ends um, with the longest movement of the thing, 12 minutes, um, about a labyrinth. And it's kind of a vocalese of sorts, mm-hmm. where she just sings over it, and I can't explain it as well as the music can, so let's mm-hmm. listen to that. to happen like we're building up to something yeah a long journey mm-hmm. a meditation whatever you want it to be yeah. here at the end of the piece this one movement takes about a third of the length of the work to perform so it's wow. I mean, it's, he's giving you space to think and This movement, Goliath, compares to uh, an old jazz t- uh, jazz album by Miles Davis and Gil Evans, The Sketches of Spain. Oh, I love that album, And yeah. one of the tracks on there has this uh, kind of a bolero-like uh-huh. rhythm and Miles Davis soars over it. I think he's treating Don Upshaw's voice, in this case, much like Miles, uh, Gil Evans treated Miles Davis's trumpet line. Interesting. And that... In one interview that Goliath gave about kind of him, it had nothing to do with the piece, he talks about how he belonged to the Argentina of Borges. Uh, Jorge damn. Luis Borges? Borges. <laughs> so he belonged to the, the Argentina, Argentina of Borges. Uh-huh. And when I started doing more research into him, being a musician, I hadn't exper- you know, come across his name before. I found a very short story about two kings and their labyrinths and how there was one king who built a very fancy labyrinth and, and brought the other king in and let him loose in it and made fun of him for being lost and had all this humor at his the other king's misery. Uh-huh. And the other king you know, said, well, I hope to invite you into my labyrinth sometime, went home, brought an army back, sacked the first king's city and then took the king back into his labyrinth which was just the desert and left him in the desert wandering Uh so there's kind of this duality of labyrinths Uh just as there is kind of the duality of you know who's at fault is this a man-made thing one generation the next right you know there's there's so much going on in the piece and i think it's kind of all tied together with Borges' Labyrinths. Oh, that's a really good comparison. Like, I, I like that. Well, that is actually a great note for us to, to end on. Craig, thank you so much for bringing this this piece in. Like, I, I literally had never heard of this composer, and it's this beautiful exercise in, in, in contrast that it seems to aim to find uh, unity and and you know all of these different sort of conflicting things i really enjoyed it thanks and it's it's so unresolved at the end just like life Uh, exactly that that was beautiful (laughs) a little tear 
little tear coming. Um, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I hope you, I hope you come back again. So I have made a New Year's resolution for 2014 to go to more classical music concerts. And I thought to myself, how will I choose what concerts to go to? I figured you guys could help me. So musician types, I would like for you to make a case for me as to why I should go to your show. And if your plea is pleasing enough to my ears, then um, maybe I'll just come to your show. All you need to do is go to the Classical Classroom webpage. It's at classical917.org backslash classroom. And you'll find instructions for how to submit your, your argument. You can also go to that webpage to see uh, past episodes and to see what's coming up on the show. And also, of course, to listen to current episodes. If you have any questions or would like to hear something on the Classical Classroom, just send me an email at dclay at classical917.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>